This Tuesday, you and Mr. Matef Hamakis will be giving a talk on your new book, Black Power After Lives. And this is a very important topic that goes in hand with the Black Lives Matter movement we're currently facing today. Could you talk about why it's important to look at the Black Panther Party to inform the current mobilization within the continued struggle for Black liberation? The Black Panther Party is one of the most important organizations of the 20th century, I dare say, and definitely one of the most prominent organizations of the long 60s. And they continue to have an impact on social movements and organizing since their demise in the early 80s. And people inside the movements and in certain circles absolutely knew that, know that. But um, I would say that until the more recent period with the rise of Black Lives Matter and the movement for Black Lives, um, it wasn't discussed um, as explicitly outside of these particular circles. And also there is not a systematic study of how the Panthers have been impacting the current moment. And I would say that impact is pretty tremendous in the current moment and actually multiple generations of activism and organizing. And so we developed this book, Black Power Afterlives, the enduring significance of the Black Panther Party to begin to examine the ways that the Panthers have been impacting later generations of organizers in multiple ways. Could you talk more about the fact that well, although the Black Panther Party it was intervened 38 years ago, the spirit of the party doesn't rest and absolutely carries on, as you were saying. In creating your new book, Black Power After Lives, what were you and Mr. Hamakis hoping to bring forward? Absolutely. Um, the Panthers have captured the imagination of activists for generations. It's seen in the Black Power symbol, right? It's seen in ideas around Black self-determination and Black liberation and, and radical transformation and internationalism. And what we wanted to do was bring forth the aspects of the Panthers that are more um, apparent to people, like their impact on prisons and policing activism, um, music, right, hip hop. But also we wanted to look to examine areas of uh, the Panther influence that's less apparent in certain ways. So one of the areas is spirituality. And I think that when people talk about Black liberation, especially in this period of the 60s and Black power, they aren't thinking about spirituality as much as, say, perhaps thinking about, um, and not, not thinking about people like Harriet Tubman, right, who relied on that kind of spirituality. Right. But spirituality was, in fact, a really important component of what the Black Panthers did and continue to impact. And I think that this is best illustrated in Erica Huggins' story. Mm -hmm. And right, Erica Huggins is actually going to be speaking at the Multicultural Center on October oh, 27th at 6 p.m. And she's one of the major leaders of the Black Panther Party and led out the uh, community school for, for years and years. And after her husband, John Huggins and Bunchy Carter were killed in LA in January of 1969, 
when she herself was arrested and she had a infant baby who she was separated from for two years while she was in prison. Um, and inside prison, she survived by turning to yoga and meditation. And those became her spiritual practice to this day. And um, so she, in, in this book, there's an interview with Professor Felice Blake and myself with Erica Huggins talking about the spiritual basis for her social justice practice. But it also was apparent in other Panthers as well. And another area that isn't thought about as much is environmental justice. And we have a chapter by um, Quincy Saul looking at eco-socialism um, and, and the, the fact that in, in one of the least likely places where people don't think about environmental justice activism happening, it's happening. And that's inside prisons and by prisoners. And in some ways it makes sense because their conditions are so horrible, right? That they are concerned about just clean water and these kinds of healthy food, right? These kinds of issues that are of importance. But, you know, we can think about the Panthers free breakfast program, right? Right. In terms of environmental justice and in terms of food security in ways that wasn't framed in the exact same way in the 60s and 70s, but I think that we can, we can frame it that way, right? And it makes sense. And one other area that we're really looking at, well, I guess a, uh, another is Pan-Africanism. And hmm. people know that Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, um, uh, and others were, became, were invited to join the Panthers briefly. And Kwame Ture, right, heads up the all, Af or headed up, formed in the U.S., the All African People's Revolutionary Party, a Pan-Africanist group. And there were a segment of the, and, and Kwame Ture says that the highest political expression of Black power is Pan-Africanism, a statement that requires unpacking, no doubt, um, and is contested. But nonetheless, there were a segment of Black Panthers who moved to Pan-Africanism. And we have a section on that in this book. Um, we also look at the contemporary organizing um, around Black queer feminism. And also, this is very important for UCSB, Yoelle Haley, who was part of the Black Student Union demands team in 2012 and 13, talks about uh, black student organizing in the shadow of the Panthers, looking in particular at the African Black Conference uh, on California campuses statewide. I think a, a very significant point you brought up is the spiritual aspect that plays a role in many, and I would say all prominent Black liberators that we've seen throughout history from Frederick Douglass to Harriet Tubman, and as you highlighted, Erica Huggins, who all faced unimaginable injustice and were met within harsh surroundings where people were trying to fit them into a particular mold that didn't at all resonate with the essential truth of who they knew they were within themselves. So I just want to delve into this aspect, um, and if you could touch on it a little bit more of just how vital it is to use this sense of power and knowledge that lives from within to assist in liberating ourselves and as a tool towards justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a really important question. And you know, people often open ceremony with libation right, and honoring of the ancestors. 
and a belief that the connections to the ancestors and whatever people's beliefs are, spiritual, cultural, right? Whatever these beliefs are, these, these connections to the universe and to the ancestors, uh, it could be historical, right? It could be material or immaterial, whatever people's belief systems, but the connections to the ancestors really give people a lot of power to carry on. Um, and you mentioned Harriet Tubman, right, who really absolutely did this kind of, of, of work that was important. And I, it wasn't just Erica Huggins, but people like um, Huey Newton, the Panther co-founder, right. right? When he was incarcerated, he also did yoga. And there's mm. something about, so whatever it is that people want to define spirituality as, and I'm thinking about it, you know, it can incorporate many different forms for different people. But there's kind of slowing down, turning both inwards and um, outwards in terms of connections to the ancestors, I think is really important, um, especially at a moment like this where everything seems so uncertain and there's so much anxiety around, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it can slow people down, help us to focus, help us to focus on the kinds of values that are important to us and help us to try to enact those values, right? To prefigure right. the kinds of social relations that we want in a liberatory society. Um, and I think that can help us to get through some of the pettiness and the mean-spiritedness, right? That we experience mm. in every day. And I don't mm. mean it as the way to turn away from the fight for social justice and liberation. I mean it as a way to turn towards it in the ways that Erica Huggins talks about. In advocating and writing books on Afro-Asian activism, could you talk a little bit about the Black Panther movement and other acts towards Black liberation and how it's not singular, but really encompasses the liberation for all people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's an important question because a group like the Black Panther Party, um, some people misinterpret them as support being only for black people, right? And absolutely, they centered black liberation and they focused primarily on black communities, right? Improving conditions for black communities as is important. Um, but when you study the Panthers, it is apparent from early, from the very beginning that they connected liberation for black people to the liberation of all peoples. And they're working within the context of the US war in Vietnam and anti-war protests. And so it's really clear to them that they were internationalists. And so they couldn't just center US black lives. They had to consider con, uh, center the lives of people around the world who are impacted by right, colonialism and racial capitalism and heteropatriarchy. And so that, that connects all people. And um, in their famous sacramental um, demonstrations right on the steps of, of Sacramento in May of 67, they gave their executive mandate number one, which clearly connects oppression against black people to indigenous land rights, to Japanese American concentration camps, to Hiroshima, Nagasaki, to Vietnam and so forth. And yeah, and so they're part of the internationalist trend who connects all of these, even as they center black lives and black liberation. And I think people think you can't do both. They, they see them as contradictory. Right. And I think that we have examples time and time again, not just the Panthers, many groups that, that do both simultaneously. And they don't have to be contradictory. We can do both. 
Okay, I feel like I could talk to you forever, <laughs> but I'll keep it limited to this. Um, and I'd like to know if you have any additional comments that you would like to add. I, I, I think that um, the present moment is crucial for what we do on the streets and not just on the streets and not just in social media, but in terms of long haul organizing it's important to join organizations. It's important to work collectively with others, right? It, it's a struggle. It's not always easy. Problems will come up, but this, this moment is so crucial and it's gonna determine which way the world turns. And I'm um, immensely inspired by the young people on the streets and in organizations, many of whom have been working for years and it's not just something that happens suddenly. Um, it's not just that ideas like abolition can take hold, right? A A Angela Davis and Ruthie Gilmore and others, at least since the time of critical resistance in 1998, or W.E.B. Du Bois and talking about Black Reconstruction, we're talking about ideas of abolition democracy and they mm -hmm. don't just take hold suddenly, they build and build and build. And so what we're building for is both for this moment and this generation because it's crucial and for the world, right? For the planetary right. survival. Right. And also for as indigenous people say seven generations forward. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Fujino for coming on KCSB News today. And I look forward to your talk coming up Tuesday. Thank you so much, Kali, for having me and for just your, your enthusiasm. Don't forget to mark your calendars for Tuesday's talk with Dr. Diane Fujino, along with her co-author, Dr. Matef Hamakis, who will be speaking on behalf of their book, Black Power After Lives, Tuesday, October 27th at 4 p.m. with UCSB Pacific View Library Series. With KCSB News, I'm Kali Aqua. Thanks for listening.